Hey, thanks for sharing, listeners. Before we begin this episode, Jackie and I wanted to invite you to join us at some events that we've, uh, we're going to be doing this year with uh, our friends at Worth Recovery. We've had Amy on the show a few times, um, and she, she's putting on some day-long intensives for women in recovery. Uh, she's calling it the Courage Conference. Our, the first one we'll be involved with is going to be in Salt Lake City on February 24th, 2018. Um, and it's going to be a day of learning how to dive into your story and find courage there. Jackie and I are going to be talking specifically about uh, finding courage in your own story, and we're going to be sharing more of our own stories. Uh, so we hope to see you there. And if you're not able to make the one in Salt Lake uh, through 2018, there's going to be three other courage conferences. Uh, there will be one in September in Seattle, Washington, and one at some point in Atlanta, and one at uh, Buffalo, New York. And Jackie and I are hoping to be at all of those. Um, so you can find out more about this on worthrecovery.com um, and look up the Courage Conference. Now, hope you enjoy the episode. This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hello and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Uh, we're going to continue our series on um, family of origin stuff. And this episode, actually, in light of things happening this week, we're going to take a different turn yeah. with it. We'd originally kind of planned a history lesson on what's happened in our culture and how that impacted previous generations. Mm-hmm. And then as we got discussing it, um, we are smack dab in the middle of so much cultural trauma. Right. We don't need to reach back into history right. to talk about this. Um. So we wanted to talk in particular about mass shootings mm-hmm. and about the Me Too movement because mm-hmm. um, I I think those represent two really important points in how cultures deal with trauma and how cultural trauma impacts individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, I was earlier this week at, well, it wasn't that earlier. It was two days ago after the shooting in Florida at the high school where 17 students were killed. Um, one of my Facebook friends, a guy that I grew up with, um, had commented and was just like, I, I want to have a discussion about this. This is making me sick. And, you know, and he, and he said, no comments are unwelcome. Like, I just want to have a healthy, productive conversation. And and so most people, you know, were talking. I mean, it was a similar uh, maybe rhetoric around what happens typically after we have a mass shooting in our country and some of the questions that are asked and just a lot of people just just kind of shake their head and are like what what is this mm-hmm. and what is the solution and and i think a feeling of um powerlessness and helplessness and you know there were some people talking about that we need better mental health and other people who were commenting and saying you know it's not like the united states has higher levels of mental health issues to account for our higher levels of gun violence. Like, we're not that different from other countries in terms Mm -hmm. of mental health. We are significantly different in terms of our mass shooting. Mm -hmm. So we can't just talk about, like, while we might need to talk about mental health, 
we can't just lay this at the feet of mental health. Yeah. Valid comment. Um, I commented and said something about, like, I, I think it is a multifaceted um, approach that needs to happen. But I think step number one is we need to look at what is going on with America and guns. Yeah. And I, I think that's issue number one. Um, and then I said, and I think another one that we often miss that is wrapped up in America's Americans and guns is our um, toxic messaging around masculinity. Mm-hmm. Right. And somebody else commented and said, I don't like, I'm interested to know. And again, it's Facebook. And so I don't know if this was, with sarcasm, I, I decided to take it not as sarcasm and just a genuine question about, That's big of you. <laughs> right? Um, I'm better when I do that. Um, that just said, um, like, I'm curious how that even is part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I had just commented at the time, it was 11 o'clock at night. And so I just said, I don't even know if I can do justice to that in um, a Facebook post, but I linked a couple of podcast episodes. And then further down the line the next morning, one of the uh, women that I grew up with had commented and was just like, Jackie, in light of all of the comments here, like yours, like all of them make sense to me except yours. <laughs> like, I, I, like yours just seems so out of left field that like, can you please expand, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, well, well, probably not and do justice to it, but... Again, refer back to some of the podcast episodes I've talked about. Like, I don't know that in one comment I can adequately do justice to it. And and I did clarify, and I said, f- for what it's worth, I'm not anti-masculinity. I'm anti-toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that all masculinity is toxic. But I think there there is something to be had in these conversations where we talk about the trauma of the messaging that happens. Because... Most mass shooters are white males. I, I mean, we we around nine eleven. There was a lot of talk of racial profiling and mm-hmm. like who was dangerous. Um, if you apply that to mass shooting, uh, white males should be under high suspicion for yeah. the amount of murders that they commit, even outside of mass shootings. For the amount of murders that are committed, like white males with guns are by and large the largest subset of perpetrators there. Right. And I've made similar comments. I think the last time after a mass shooting, I made a similar comment and somebody said, um, you're telling me that, you know, women can't do this. And I said, no, (laughs) like I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure females can. I said, but statistically speaking, women are much more likely to be killed by gunmen than they are to perpetrate killing with a gun. Like that's just the stats on that. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying, can we have that conversation, right? And not make it about Jackie hates men. Mm-hmm. Th- that is not what I'm saying, right? And and I know these conversations are difficult, but some of the toxic messaging for males, I, I, and I, I pointed this out in my uh, comment Thursday morning, and I just said, for example, we tell men as their boys that it is not masculine for them to feel emotion. Mm-hmm. And if they feel emotion, the only channel they have to express that through is aggression. Mm-hmm. Whether that's aggression on the football field, whether that's aggression on the basketball court, the soccer field, wherever that is, we start to fuel emotion with aggression. 
And then we stand back and say, why are men so likely to be violent? Mm-hmm. Right? There's When we keep following that line of toxic messaging for men and boys, and then we follow that into adulthood, in which the only way you can channel your emotions is through aggression, because that's masculine. Crying would not be masculine. Um, talking it out would not be masculine. Mm-hmm. Where do we think we're going to land on that? Well, and it's so much a part of the water. Um, I have not been able to listen to a lot of news coverage on the shooting. Mm. Like, it, every week, every two weeks when there's another mass shooting, like, it makes me that much sicker. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't listen much of it. So, like, the three minutes I listened to on Thursday morning, um, they were interviewing one of the teachers. And he had said something about, like, the fire alarm was pulled first. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know if it was a drill or, or what. So he sends students out in the hall. And then over the intercom, they say it's a code red. And he calls back in the six students who are still within earshot. And he gets them in the room. And he locks the door and turns the light off. And then he says, I heard popping like it was gunfire. And I didn't know if there was an active shooter or if this was part of the drill. And they were firing blanks. I heard a 14-year-old, a freshman female student being interviewed who was saying the same thing. It's been a long time since I've been in high school and there have been drills. And there were not code red drills when I was in high school. But I thought to myself, what the hell are we doing firing blanks in these... Drills. Drills. Um, Let's not desensitize to this. But that seems to be so much of our culture's approach to trauma is like, well, this is going to be where it's at. We don't look at the source. We don't Uh look at what happened. We don't look at what we can do. It's like, well, this is going to be where it's at. So we need to train our high school kids to know what to do when there's an active shooter in the building. Yeah. And to me, there's something so wrong about that. So when you're talking about this toxic masculinity, um, I think that's so hard to address because culturally we don't address things. Mm -hmm. We, okay, well, we're going to have violent people. Let's build bigger prisons. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's, uh, let's arm more people so that they can shoot back mm. at these shooters. Like, yeah, I saw a Facebook um, video that was going around that was made by a teacher that just said, before you ask me to bring armed guards into my school, how about you arm me with a class size in which it's manageable and I can really get to know my students mm-hmm. on a personal level? Mm-hmm. How about you arm me with enough social workers who can come into my classroom and teach kids healthy ways of dealing with emotion? Mm-hmm. How about you arm me with enough nurses that my children at the school have access to proper proper medical physical health? Mm-hmm. Right? How about you arm me with all... And, and it ended with saying, before you arm me with guards and send guns into my school, arm mm-hmm. me with what really will make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that is such, I, I, I love that perspective. At the same time, um, hearing that, it almost adds more hopelessness to me because I know that's not where we're headed right. on this. Well, and, and listening to some of the students who have been interviewed who are saying, please do something for us. Like, this one, should not happen. I heard one kid say, you are the adults, we are the children, your job is to protect us, figure it out. Right. And yet you listen to that and you think, it's not going to change. Yeah. Right? And and many people are saying, and, and I can't help but agree with this, if if um, the Newt- Newton shooting where the 21st Newtown, graders yeah. were, yet yeah, the Newtown, if that... If somehow we found a way to make that bearable and it didn't create this massive change, what what is it going to take, yeah. right? If we can have 20 first graders and their first grade teacher killed mm-hmm. at school, 
Like, what what would it take? Yeah. Well, one of the big questions for me, and I was I was talking to Jackie about this before we started recording, um, just this idea that one of the ways, like the way that we cooperate on a large scale is we have this common mythology or we have this common story mm-hmm. or this common belief system. Um, and one of the big questions for me is why we're so fragmented on that belief system and on that mm-hmm. story. And, you know, you could... You could have a standalone podcast series that went on for years exploring that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's one of the things that surprises me about these cultural traumas is it seems like we segment even further Mm -hmm. rather than coming back to what is the story of us that's happening now and how is that reflected? And is what happening now, is that acceptable in our narrative? Mm -hmm. Um, Because when it's not, like human beings have this long, long history of when it's not acceptable in our narrative, we take care of it. Like mm-hmm. when there were quote unquote witches around, like we burned them. <laughs> we took care of it. We that. took care of it. Um, when sexuality was a big threat to everybody, we got really repressed mm-hmm. um, and we took care of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just wondering like what has happened to our ability to have these uniting narratives mm-hmm. Um it just seems like we're so fragmented and we're fragmented in such small bands. Like nobody can get anything done. Nobody can respond right. on a large scale. Well, and I, I think it's one of those, as we were talking about this before we hit record, I, I think one of the problems, you know, and, and people will talk about this, like we're so divided and that's true. Right. And, and that division really does prevent us from accomplishing things and getting things done. It keeps us in this me versus you or us versus them. Um, instead of coming together and talking collectively mm-hmm. about the us and mm-hmm. what are we going to do about this. And this is impacting us, mm-hmm. not them. Mm-hmm. It's impacting us and us is all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it sets us up in this binary, which the binary always keeps us divided. Mm -hmm. And while the conversation that requires us to stay in dialogue from a both and perspective doesn't necessarily make us feel comfortable, it's actually more productive. Yeah, I actually, so we had Dan Griffin on the show a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And as I listen to his more recent podcast episodes and see what he's posting on Facebook, his conversations make me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, like it wades into this area that's like, I don't know if I'm ready to see this. I don't know if I'm mm. ready to feel this. Like this is so different. Um, but that's really what needs to like that. That's what all of these traumas. That's what all mm-hmm. of these news headlines are telling us is there's something that we have to look mm-hmm. at here. Um, and that. And, and I was going to say, I, I, I understand and maybe bringing in a little bit of the Me Too movement. It's just been so long. And our window of tolerance for trauma mm-hmm. is supposed to be short, mm-hmm. right? We're supposed to be in trauma for a relatively short amount of time. And then we move out and our system regulates. Mm-hmm. That's how it's supposed to happen. We're not created to live in consistent, ongoing trauma. Mm-hmm. And yet for many of us, we find ourselves having to do that. Mm-hmm. And and that leaves a mark that leaves um, an impact on us and and so i think i under i can understand right when i keep hearing more and more of the me too movement like i'm getting tired too yeah and yeah we're not done yet yeah right we, and we've barely even begun yeah 
like we we still have so many places for this me too movement to go and so i can understand and and some of the more recent ones that came out i the one with Sean White the olympic gold medalist and again it's these are complicated issues now because we're happy for Sean White and we love that he won gold and, and he did some amazing things on the slopes and the allegations are pretty ugly, mm-hmm. right? And when I when I read mm-hmm. some of the comments, which I try not to do very often, but sometimes I'm curious, like, what are people thinking about this? You could tell most people are done with They're this. They're so sick of it. They do not want to hear it. And, and what it's turning back to is blaming the victims, mm-hmm. right? And saying this cannot be this pervasive. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it can, and mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And... And, and it's difficult because we can't hate all of these men. Yeah. Right? We can't just lump them into the category and, of bad men. And maybe we shouldn't hate all of those men. Exactly. I think that's even harder to get to this place of, mm-hmm. of saying, like, hating these men and vilifying them, that's no more a solution than ignoring this. It, exactly. But it requires more of us to, mm-hmm. to be in that both end, right? They are good men and they've behaved in really bad ways. Yeah. And we have to sit in that place. And and so I can understand our narrow window to tolerate this type of trauma. Yeah, from a neurological perspective, we don't have that kind of attention Mm -hmm. span to sustain this. And when I look at the gun violence issue, I'm like, well, we sure are tolerating a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, so I'm just, I I mean, I don't have answers either. But it's confusing to me because I'm like, I get that we don't have a lot of tolerance. And yet we keep tolerating the intolerable. Well, and I, so I, I think there's a myth about where life gets good and, and how life is supposed to be lived. And we always look to the past for when times were better, mm. when times were simpler. The truth is the way that our species moves, the way that our cultures move, there is no going back. Mm-hmm. Like we have these micro changes that happen and they happen so subtly over so many generations. So we're not going to make America great again? no. If America was ever great, we're not going to make it great again. Right. As a female, I look back at our history and I'm like, mm, I don't want to go back then when I couldn't wear pants. It was, <laughs> it was, or you'd be burned as a witch. Right. Or I couldn't like buy a house or right. I couldn't work. I don't want to go back to that. Right. These changes happen over, over so much time and they're so gradual as we go on. Like if, if we were to say, well, let's just go back to here when it wasn't literally what we're picking is like, well, who's going to die in this change like if we if we go back to um you know all the way back to when we were foragers and people were actually a lot less stressed um they worked a lot less hours um literally like 90 percent of our population has to die to sustain that Mm -hmm. like and and when you look at things like the industrial revolution when you look at women's rights when you look at um issues around addiction and, and mental illness and kind of stuff like we can't go back and erase what happened to get us to this point. Right. We have to engage with what the problems are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a big part of, to me, it's on that individual basis. We talk about being able to learn again after trauma and being able to feel again mm-hmm. and being able to have movement again. Mm-hmm. Culturally, we have to be able to do something like that too. Mm-hmm. We, we have to get out of this place where it's this, automatic response like even now the memes on facebook there's the now is not the time to mm-hmm. talk about gun control and there's the thoughts and prayers are going right. to do nothing like we we now have a new automatic narrative mm-hmm. on both sides um both of which i would say 
are not capturing the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're not engaging in the dialogue that we need to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's some of the some of the reality that we have to come to post-trauma is there's no going back. Mm-hmm. We can only look forward to solutions and we can only work to well, solutions Well, and, and I'm thinking in our last episode, we talked about that sometimes the secondary trauma or an additional trauma is what happens after the trauma. Yeah. Right? What happens after the trauma? Or at, what happens after what happened? And, and I mean, I, th- I think as you bring up the point, like there's a whole lot of bypassing. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of shifting around it in order to make ourselves comfortable. And what yeah. we know with trauma is that's not a productive way to handle what happens after what happened. I think we need comfort so that we can start to regulate and get our brains engaged again. Right. But we can't shoot for being comfortable. Otherwise, right. this happens mm-hmm. over and over. We see mm-hmm. this in abuse cycles. Right. Um, people can get really comfort comfortable rather than going and seeking comfort and nothing changes. Right. Yeah, it's it's a tough topic and there are no easy answers. Yeah. And we get tired of staying in the dialogue. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. And yet I think we have to be aware of what is our self-care. Mm-hmm. And understanding that we need to be caring for ourselves so that we can come back and stay engaged in the dialogue mm-hmm. and not get into a, I just throw irresponsible remarks yeah. out there, or I just start blaming and dividing into a me versus you kind of thing. And so our self-care isn't about getting away from it, mm-hmm. but it's, I've got to, I've got to take a break, Yeah. right? I've, I've got to kind of swing out of this trauma space for a moment just to recuperate, Yeah. but I've got to come back to it. No, and I, I think that's a big part of the dialogue. And, and again, like what mobilizes more than 150 people at a time is a uniting myth, a uniting story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what that dialogue does is we have to create a new story mm-hmm. that doesn't tolerate this. Yeah. We have to create a new story that um, addresses why this happens and what people need in that. Because our current myths clearly are not doing that for us. Right. And so to just throw those back into the arena again and again until everyone's tired of it, like that's really self-defeating mm-hmm. to me. Well, and I think we do. I mean, you talked about how do we um, unify in groups of more than 150, right? And it, it can be difficult. I think it can be difficult in a group of 150, oh, yeah. right? But I, I think, and part of maybe why... I was more than willing to give this person on the one Facebook feed the benefit of the doubt. The person who asked me the question, I don't know him, but I knew a lot of people on the thread. And maybe because I knew a lot of people on Mm. the thread, I was more willing to offer some grace to this person Mm. I didn't know and say, maybe they're curious. Maybe they Mm -hmm. honestly are asking a question and not Mm -hmm. being snarky Mm -hmm. and trying to insult me. Mm -hmm. And I think there is something about bringing a human connection to this, Mm -hmm. right? And in groups, it can be difficult, like I said, in a group of 150 to keep kind of this personal, I know this person and I can't just say they're a bad person or this person's an idiot, right? Like I I can't say that. I might could do that on social media with people I don't Mm -hmm. know, but I can't do this with this person that I'm sitting in a circle with and we're having these conversations. That makes me think of the reconciliation that happened in Rwanda and um, other places that Mm. had big genocide. And 
you know, these were tribal factions that grew up together, lived in the same towns, and then they murdered each other. Uh-huh. Um, and what we saw happen after that, after debt was paid and prison time was spent, these people were integrated back into their communities. Mm-hmm. And it was this reconciliation process where they had to come face to face. Um, and that was built on these ancient tribal traditions that these people also had in their cultural background, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, those those racial and tribal issues are by no means solved at this point. But I think to me that represents the kind of step forward that we need is to remember that we do have a community mm-hmm. and we do have a shared history and we really do have a responsibility to look out for each other yeah. and to care for each other. Yeah, I, I was this morning, I do a monthly um, consultation call with a group of therapists and we get on and we might staff cases. And today we spent some good amount of time just talking about the week's events and how us as the caretakers, right, and the healers were feeling and doing. And and one person was sharing in the group, and I really like this, I wrote it down, but she was talking about um, um, an empathy building exercise that she does with her clients addicts, um, particularly when they're beginning their recovery process. And, and yet I think it can be so good. And as she was talking about it, I mean, she wasn't talking about it in terms of the shootings that just happened, but in my mind, it, it did go there. And she said, you know, one of the things that I'll do is I'll have them come in. And every week I ask this question, who have you harmed this week? Mm -hmm. Name the person you did the most harm to this week. And then the second question is how did that harm them? Hmm. What did you do and how did that harm them? And she says, and, you know, one of the things that I notice is that as they make progress in therapy, that one of the things that they start to notice is that they're naming themselves. Hmm. The person that I'm harming was me. Hmm. And this is how my behavior harmed me. And and she says, and we start to develop this self-compassion that then they start to think or pause before they just engage in action, right? Mm-hmm. And people become people to them. And they become a human being that they love and care for. And and she said, and it really starts to increase their ability for empathy and to use more of their prefrontal cortex, part of the brain, before they just get in that mammalian part and just are acting, yeah. right? And and I just love that as part of this conversation that we're having, you know, this week in our homes and in our schools and in our churches and communities, when this happened again, um, we can all benefit mm-hmm. from more empathy building exercises, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought to myself, that's one of the things I want to start doing yeah. is who have I harmed this week? And how did I harm them? How did it feel to them when I said that or when I did that or when I didn't do that? And that may include me, right? But I I think if we could all just start engaging with that question and becoming more aware, right, then maybe we do start expanding beyond the 150 and Mm -hmm. we start to create Mm -hmm. more of this collective consciousness that even though we're still individuals and we're different and we can be varied, that diversity can actually unify us. Mm-hmm. I think nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, we want to remind you uh, that your story matters and remember that there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story with us until it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com.
This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.